were eating their lunch and drinking tea and smoking hand-rolled burley. Philip sat at some distance beneath the maple, a wet blue bandana over his eyes. Henry settled behind them and made cigarettes of grass. Twenty-four today, I bet, one of the men said. Another. Think bigger, boys, I need the cash. Shit, son, you just lucky anybody lets you cut nowadays. How much you want to bet this here is the last time? Nowadays, look at this place. Don't tell me he can't afford no picker. He ain't even got no tobacco pouch. Rich men can afford to do things sideways. Him ain't got no stock neither. A man said, Y'all tell me this. You ever seen a man just grow corn and nothing else? Once or twice. But what does he do with the blades? No one answered. What does he do with the cobs? There are some horses in that black barn. What about the nubbins? No one answered. One whispered, Well, is he stupid or crazy? If you're rich, you can afford to be both. And there was uproarious laughter. Henry was too young to feel a frisson of shame. Then the talk drifted. Some of the men reclined on their backs and slept with their hats steepled atop their faces so they wouldn't burn. Henry curled around his red ball and slept too. And when he awoke, his mother was carrying him into the house, and the men were scattered in the fields again, and Philip was somewhere else. By the evening, half the corn plants had been stripped, and in their place stood scores of ricks, funereal heaps that would remain for weeks in the sun until the ears and the blades cockled and paled. Henry played among the short stalks when the men went home, the sharp, severed plants scraping at his ankles and shins. He leaned hard against the lee sides of the fodder shocks, where no one in the house would see him. Sometimes his mother paid him a nickel to gather the gleanings for a neighbor woman, so he would stuff the raspy blades in a woven basket. He discovered worms and crawling beetles in the dirt and killed them. He tucked a blade in his mouth, like an old man with a pipe, and when he slept at night he dreamed he was climbing the ricks, but in his dreams there was never any top to them. They went forever upward like a magical beanstalk that he climbed under the watchful eyes of that age-old line of men looking down at him, watching him always. Then the season ended, and the bright roulette of the year spun, and the next fall the men did not come. Only Philip and his teenaged nephew and a shiny new corn picker with a wagon attachment. The store-bought contraption lumbered across the acres, swallowing ears off the stalks, leaving them upright and stripped in the field. Henry loved the brontosaurus neck of the picker, how quickly it spat ears from its mechanical mouth into the rolling wagon. He wagged and skipped along the line where the grass met the field, dueling the machine as it cobbed two rows in a single run, until one day his father returned unexpectedly at the lunch hour and snatched him from the field's edge and thrashed him on the lawn and yelled at his mother. Later, when it was too painful to sit, Henry stood on his bedroom bay window seat, his hands frogged to the deadlight, watching the progress of the machine, wishing he could ride it like a metal horse. And he would have, were it not for his father. But this September, with the boy turned fourteen, the old picker was retired to its shed, and a new combine was driven through the streets of Paris. It came to devour the acres, threshing its way through their fields with a furious mouth and a fricative roar. Ruthless and fast, it snatched the stalks from the ground, mashing them. It would have handily outpaced the boy, but this year, Henry didn't even think about racing it. 
He was seven days out from the Osborne's farm and the spectacle of the broken filly. He stood, pensive and alone, with his back to the old cabins, where the picker was now abandoned, watching the combine as it routed the fields. The machine made quick, wasteless work of the corn, and its speed was a marvel. He couldn't deny that. But he also couldn't care. Yes, he liked machines. In fact, he loved them. He was fascinated by the intestinal fittings of the tubes and fans beneath the hood of their sedan, how the bodies out of Detroit were yearly improved and refined. A short time ago, he'd admired nothing better than the old picker he'd chased alongside. But he could see now that all these machines ran out of an obligation that was man-made. A thing without a will could run, but it could never race. Anyway, how much could you improve upon the combustion engine? It was, in some irreducible way, already the perfect fulfillment...